Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening. My guest today is an outdoorsman. He's a conservationist and a backcountry athlete. Um, some of you might know that I've recently, in the last year or so, really started getting into archery. And when I heard his story, um, where he recently went on a 28-day backcountry elk hunt in the mountains of Wyoming, uh, I started to have some conversation with him and we started talking and following his story. And I wanted to share it with all of you because I think he's a really interesting guy. We talk about that hunt. We talk about uh, some of the predator problems in the lower 48 states around gray wolves and grizzly bears. And we talk about physical fitness and how uh, a hunting experience from last year really made him change his way of life. Um, both nutrition-wise and physical fitness-wise, and how it's impacted his ability to be successful on some of these crazy hunts that he's going on. So really appreciate you tuning in. I think you're going to like this a lot. Give it up for my guest, Cole Simonson. But before we get to the episode, a really big shout out to our sponsor, Action. Now, as you guys know, Action is a specialty roast coffee company and I suggest you all go to drinkaction.com, that's action with a K, and sign up for the subscription model, which will get you 20% off all products to be automatically delivered to you either 15 or 30 days. It's really easy, folks. It's great coffee. It's delivered on demand. And Action's also getting into natural supplements. So products like Active, which is a combination of turmeric and hemp, that's designed to reduce your inflammation, uh, as well as products like Fuel, which is an MCT bomb. So if you're ketogenic and you're looking for clean energy, Fuel is a great, great product for that. Go to drinkaction.com, use code word curious, and you'll save 15% off if you decide that you don't want to sign up for the subscription. But either way, coffee's amazing, products are great, and I take it daily. Curious, 15%. Enjoy the episode. How's it going, man? Good. Yourself? It's good. It's good. Thank you so much for hopping on here. Appreciate it, dude. Oh, thanks for having me, man. This is exciting. Yeah, same here. I, um, I know you've been super busy. I've been following along. I don't know how you find time to hop on here with me, but um, <laughs> it's awesome, dude. I think um, you're in, you're in Wyoming, correct? Yep. Which part? I'm in, I'm in the northeast part in uh, Gillette, Wyoming. Okay. Okay. Uh, my cousin lived like smack dab in the middle of the state for a couple of years, meh, five or six years ago. Um, oh remember. no, kid. Riverton is that is that a place? Yeah. Yep, Riverton. Yeah, he was on the suburbs of uh, Riverton. If I guess that's I'm talking about it as if it's like some sort of a city or something like that. I think it was pretty small, but <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a town. That's for that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so are you born and raised Wyoming? Yep, born raised. Um, moved out of here for a year in elementary for to wisconsin and then move right back so okay okay yeah man a lot i want to dive into you know i think we connected um i 
can't remember if maybe I had come across your stuff or you had come across mine, but you had sent me a message, I think, um, on a post or something that I had put up around uh, shooting a bow. And uh, you were like, hey, man, if you ever, you know, want to chat, kind of offered your expertise, which I greatly appreciated. And from that moment on, I started really keeping an eye on what you were up to. And I think it was like right before you went on that really big, like, what was it, like a 25, 28 day elk hunt earlier in September? 28 days. Jesus Christ. I hunted, I hunted, did some type of hunting uh, 28 days out of 30 in September. I only took two days off. Jesus. So are you, how much of that time are you spending out in the wilderness? Um, luck, I, I honestly, I don't think I would have been able to do it if we wouldn't have had a base camp. Um, so I spent most of my time in a base camp and that was, uh, you know, in my old little 1977 trailer that has windows leaking and everything like that. Um, but you know, out of those, out of those 28 days, uh, every, every morning and every evening I was out hunting. Uh, I think there was one morning that we slept in and that was, that was like on the 25th or 26th day. And <laughs> I was just exhausted, <laughs> but yeah. And no, I think it goes without saying like, this is your life and maybe we back up and kind of like set the stage for this whole thing. So you're, you're a landowner, you live in Wyoming, you're a landowner, yep. you're, uh, what I would consider, I think you could call yourself a backcountry athlete. Um, and this is kind of like everyday life for you from what I've seen. Right. So. Yeah. Um, the, from August 15th to November 31st, I am, I have four from my regular job. I have 14 days off a month and usually about 12 of those 14 days, no matter what are spent out doing some type of hunting, fishing. Um, and mainly I just, I go, uh, it's, uh, and then luckily, um, this September I was offered to be able to take the entire month off and had, uh, had enough money saved in the bank account and no, really no responsibilities. So I kind of, told him I'll take it. And I, uh, left work for 30 days. That's nice, man. So are you, are you spending that time like on your own private land or are you hunting public land? No, I had 90, 95% of my hunting's all public. Um, I get an antelope tag for my area every year and, um, an antelope tag for my buddy's ranch and about, and that's about it. Uh, everything else is all public land. Uh, you know, it's, it's not that I have anything against private land hunting. I love going out on private land, man. It makes my day if I can get access to it, mm-hmm. but just the public land, it's something, it's another level of achievement when you're able to take an animal and especially a, uh, you know, quality animal off of public land. Uh, it's just something else. How many acres of public land are accessible for, and you, I guess, are you, do you have access to public lands across state lines as well? Cause you're in that Northeast corner. Uh, yeah, we can, you know, as long as, as long as you get the correct licensing and everything like that, um, you know, we, 
we jump uh we jump borders and you know hunt uh mainly if i do any type of out of state hunting it's usually predator hunting and most of the time there you don't have to buy any tags you kind of just hook up with some buddies and go um i have yet to do a full well that's a lie i've done a couple i've done a hog hunt and uh some snow geese hunting and pheasant hunting out of state but other than that i usually stick to wyoming man <laughs> yeah it seems like the most desolate remote place in the country i mean that's when i'm looking at the map i was like i'm pretty sure he's in in wyoming and i called my cousin up and was asking him some questions about it but i mean you're up there like right in grizzly territory too right i mean you have a lot of bear in your area or is that more central that's more that's more western and northwestern um we're blessed right now anyways we have we don't have a grizzly population where i hunt okay. uh they travel through every once in a while we've had a couple you know sighted here and there every every other year or so um but they're slowly making their way uh we have wolves now i was within 200 yards of a wolf this elk hunting season i i let out a bugle and he let out a howl and oh, wow. uh yeah uh if i wouldn't have had my pack goats with me i would have gone after him um but i just saw something today actually speaking of wolves i think uh did i read correctly that the current administration lifted the ban or removed them from endangered we've had it um so uh there's multiple states with wolves and there's multiple states with actual uh, seasons now and tags, including Wyoming. Uh, actually, Wyoming doesn't even have tags, if I remember right. A hundred yard or a hundred miles outside of Yellowstone, they're considered a predator, so they're shoot on sight. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so hence why I was, you know, thinking about going after a wolf, you know, that'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, they're, you know, uh that's that's a rabbit hole to dive into but they're one of the most like perfect built machines in the world uh a lot of people have an absolute hatred for them and uh personally i have an absolute respect for them they're just they're amazing creatures uh one day i would really like to just watch them work but they do need to be managed if if they don't there's areas in Wyoming right now where we've had to almost close down moose hunting because they've killed almost all the moose in there. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's fine line between, um, you know, people that want them all gone and people that want them managed, but they're, uh, they're cool animals. That's for sure. Yeah. I've, I've never seen one in person other than like in captivity, unfortunately, but I've seen some videos because I'm the same way. I, I watch wolves and I'm just fascinated with the intelligence that you see amongst the pack and how they hunt and as well as just like the physical attributes that they have with how they kind of are without any issue, like just blow right through waist deep snow piles and just, you know, keep going. It's, it's fucking incredible. Yeah. There, there's something else. Uh, yeah, one day, one day I'll be able to take one, and it's it'll be a uh, it'll be a pleasure. That's for sure. Yeah, no, we have a ton, like I'm in Pennsylvania. We have coyotes everywhere mm -hmm. up here, and I mean it's gotten to be a point where I'll drive, you know, down the state highway, and uh, 
that'll be sitting there on the side of the road, just eating a dead deer carcass and cars driving by. It's, it's pretty wild. You know, they get fairly large this side. I've seen them Mm -hmm. out in the Southwest and they're, you know, they're super small, you know, not very big at all, but the ones up here, they're, you know, I've, and people say a lot that they're koi wolves or, you know, uh, some sort of like hybrid type in a lot of cases, but uh, whatever they are, they're, uh, they're big enough to take the dog out if you leave them outside without paying attention for too long. Yep, exactly. I have, um, hell, I think I've killed, I've killed four off my back deck pretty much um, since I've been out, lived out in the country and um, I hunt them every year. I love coyote hunting. Um, that's just a new, another, another joy I have, you know, after November ends, you know, starts December, January, and February. And usually then I'm out coyote hunting. <laughs> yeah. Now, so you're out, you go out, you're 28 days in the wilderness. How far into the back country are you going on a hunt like that? Cause I know you had said you covered like 150 miles in total. Yep. Um, I, I put on roughly 150 boot miles. Um, usually uh most of my hunts would i'd average about a three mile walk in and give or take a three mile walk out uh so and i think my longest longest hike in was probably close to five miles and um you know when i when i'd hunt it i'd i'd pick an area on the map uh i had a huge area to cover I pick an area on a map almost every day and I'd say, you know, let's walk in here until it gets one too hot or we don't find anything and we'll, we'll make a loop back. And so I just, you know, go and start walking and walking and walking. And eventually, you know, it either in the early September, it got too hot to where I didn't want to shoot anything. Um, and they just would quiet down. And so I just loop back and make my way back and, uh, do it all over again, starting the next, that evening, once it cooled down again. Yeah. So you're playing all the thermals and kind of watching your winds and planning your, your pattern across the land, really according to, to nature. Yep. Yep. Had to, you know, and when you're up there that long, uh, you start, you start just remembering, you know, you, you just remember, you start your walk in one day and you go, you know what? I remember about three days ago, I was walking this type of train um, from 7.30 to 9. The wind was coming from the northeast. And so you'd walk and sure enough, you know, you'd have a northeast wind walking in. You know, okay, I got till about 9, 9.30 to hunt this wind. And then it's going to switch to the south to go to our midday wind. And sure enough, come about 9 30, 10 o'clock, it'd switch, you know, south or the east, and you'd be making your loop back, hunting the wind. Um, so once you start, once you start living up there for a long period of time, it's like uh it's it becomes a home in a way. And it's just like, you know, I can tell you the exact wind I'm gonna have out my back door every morning and every night. And it was the same thing, you know. Yeah. I just was able to learn the country, learn the country so much and so in depth over 28 days of just uh, walking and hiking and 
uh, the just learned the train. And I know by the time I came out of it, it was um, it was one of the more surreal feelings actually staying more than one day in town. Uh, you kind of just, I don't know, it, it made me a better hunter. That's for sure. I've, every time I go out now, I'm able to pick up some amazing things and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just, it was crazy 28 days. That's for sure. Oh man. I, I commend it. So, you know, the reason you even saw me shooting a bow is, you know, a couple of reasons, right? I, I appreciate the discipline. I've been shooting a little over a year now, like consistently every day trying to get out. I've got a, a 3d down like 50 yards in my backyard. And then I've got another target a little shorter than that, um, that I practice on. And we were planning my brother and I, um, heading out to Idaho to mm-hmm. St. Joe's national national forest to do a, a public land hunt. And, uh, you're going to laugh. So he and I had never hunted before. All right. So I'm like the mindset of, well, fuck like going, sitting in a tree stand around here in Pennsylvania. If we're going to get good at this, let's, let's go out and actually experience it. And, you know, all my buddies thought I was crazy and family and friends who hunt, they're like, you're biting off way more than you guys can chew. And, uh, maybe that's the case. And COVID kind of put a, a damper because of a number of things to get us out to Idaho for a trip that long, but it's certainly on the bucket list for next September to go out and, and either, you know, I would love to go to St. Joe's, maybe Colorado kind of feeling out where the best is, but it seems like public lands are getting a lot of attention. And when you're out in Wyoming, do you in 28 days, are you running into a lot of people out there or are you kind of isolated for the better part of that whole time? Um, you know, luckily, if you stay, if you were on the roads, any type of dirt road, I mean, it was thick as thieves. You couldn't, you couldn't drive, you know, 500 yards without having to pull off the side of the road for a four wheeler or something like that. Um, but, you know, we, we had a guy come into camp and we were talking with him about elk and everything. And he said, yeah, I, I call it the magic mile. Kind of like, what the hell is a magic mile? He goes, you walk in a mile and there's no one. Well, you're not wrong because every single time I'd walk in any place, there was nobody. You know, I could. The only time I ever saw people when I was out hunting was usually uh, when I was getting back to my truck or when I was getting back into camp. That's the only time we'd ever see people. Um, so it's just like as soon as you cover that mile you cover that mile and you're home free uh you know but then then every once in a while you run into that hardcore guy that's that's been up there for days or something like that too and has you know is consistently hunting three four miles in every single day and um those are the those are the guys you want to hunt around or with because just gonna say that it's like if they're willing to go and do that that's the company you want to to be around you're not really worried about somebody playing some sleazy games on you but exactly Exactly. that's really cool i mean and that's kind of the whole purpose behind cam haynes and his training regimen i'm sure you follow a lot of that i mean being Mm -hmm. the kind of individual that you are and and everything but i mean he's preached from what i've heard you know like i train my ass off so that i can go places where other people won't go 
And that's why I'm as successful as I am. It's not just because I, I shoot really well. I'm, I'm going and finding those bulls that nobody finds. Yep. Um, I was, I was actually really hoping you'd bring up Cam Haynes, Haynes too. Uh, in all reality, he has done more for the bow hunting and hunting community, um, especially for Western hunters, than probably anyone has in decades. Um, the The dude has my utmost respect, uh, and he he puts in the work. Every every single animal that he's taken over his bow hunting career, which I think has been close to like oh shoot 30 years or something like that or over that the the dude deserves every single one of those um so yeah he's he's an awesome dude i i follow him um he he's he puts in more work than i sure do that's the guy is driven and um i i i one day if i can ever meet cam uh i'd love to just sit down with him and have you know have a soda or something and hang out and just talk with him because the guy and mainly just thank him because the guy has just done so much for bow hunters and people people bash on him now because the dude does he goes and hunts you know coveted tags he hunts down on the oh the reservation down in arizona and kills a 400 inch bull every year um the guy the motherfucker deserved it I mean, he was, he was, shit, the guy drives, was driving four or five hours in the dark to hike in on a weekend hunt, backcountry hunt, hikes all his gear in, shoots an animal if he even sees one, and hikes out and goes to work the next day, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I don't care what anyone has ever said or will say about him, he's done more for bow hunters and, um, has given a lot of people a great outlet. So he's, he's made it approachable for me. You know, like I, I grew up in Northwestern Pennsylvania. So uh, state forest, a lot of whitetail. And I did some hunting really young. And then as I got into sports in high school, it just became kind of like an afterthought. It, it wasn't my passion. It wasn't really where I spent my time. And it always fascinated me. But then as I got older, I don't know. I felt like there was a stigma around hunting, or at least there was from my perspective. And he's kind of broke that. And I feel like the people who I was maybe, you know, shying away from reaching out to, to ask tips, to have conversations like this, you know, he kind of put it out there. Like this should be something you're asking. You should be like making this a passion. It's not just some secret club, you know, everybody should come and bow hunting when you hear that, it was like, Oh, well, fuck. Yeah. Like I, let me go and look. And then I started like getting more into it. And then I'm, you know, watching every episode of meat eater podcast on YouTube and like just going, going on and on from there, you know, and then ultimately I'm doing a podcast and having you on because you know, the way you're doing it really fascinates me. And I have so many questions, but no, I mean, you are so right. Cam is a, is a national treasure. I was pumped. I, I shared a, a video um, from my Tim Kennedy podcast. And I saw Cam shared it. And then I woke up the next morning and he was following my account. I was like, holy shit. You know, like I saw that too, man. I was like, shit, I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah. Now he, he probably has no idea who the hell I am, but, um, you know, it's, 
it's that cool little bump when you need it. Right. You know, it's, it's yep. always when I tune in and I'm like, Oh, today's a long day. And then I see him, he's like running to the top of the mountain. You know, he shows his, his running app and he's got 18 miles in that day. And then you see he's up at four the next morning and he's on his way to Colorado to run with somebody and then go hunt. Yeah. I, I don't know the, I love, I love his motto, you know, lift, run, shoot, but mine's more like lift, uh, walk at a leisurely pace and shoot. <laughs> I'm not a runner, man. It's, uh, I tell, I tell people, if you see me running, you better start running too. Cause something's, something's big after. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's so true. Um, so it's far, like, I see you're, you're always doing the fitness stuff. You, um, what kind, was it hunting that got you into that? Or was it something else as far as like just a life change that you wanted to make and it benefited hunting? Um, <laughs> last year, like I'd always, I'd always been in the gym, you know, from high school and on, and mm-hmm. I always, you know, stayed in decent shape. But, uh, last year I was elk hunting and, uh, I found, I found a bull. I mean, really, really hard area to even find elk in. It's taken me almost six years to find these elk. Um, I finally found a, found an elk and I was like, wow, that's a nice bull. And he is two miles away right now. And I have an hour left of sunlight. I better get moving. So I had just pretty much ran through this Canyon up down draws trying not to fall down into the canyon um finally got up on this slope that they were they'd been feeding on uh i'm dying i'm trying to breathe uh creep over the edge and i i see the elk right there you know and they're milling around and i'm trying to catch my breath trying to catch my breath finally you know get my breath caught and this is when I was videotaping my hunts. Um, so I trying to get the camera on it by myself, trying to get the gun ready, trying to find the bull that'll actually stand still. And uh, finally got a shot off and shot my bull and realized where I was. And it's kind of one of those moments where you scratch your head and you're like, oh my God, I am in deep right now. Uh, so I was actually able to get service and I called a friend and he got horses in he, he brought horses the next day but uh during during that whole time I had walked back and forth and back and forth and uh finally on my walk out I had been I started cramping up and everything like that and uh kind of make a long story short the day after we got the elk out finally after almost getting horses stuck back there and everything like that. Uh, I was laying in bed and I hurt so bad. I just hurt so freaking bad. And I, I was laying there. I was like, if I wouldn't have been able to get horses in there <clears throat> with the shape I'm in right now, I would not have gotten that elk out without losing meat. So then I kind of went on a um, journey in a way to find the, find a program that I wanted to stick with and was able to, and uh, finally started looking around, um, found, found uh, 
some workouts I really liked, uh, found a company I really liked, uh, and they provided me with workouts and nutrition and everything like that. Um, and just been on that, been on that journey ever since and started just grinding, uh, last April, I really kicked it into gear and just completely switched my lifestyle around. Um, and I tell you what, after that switch, there's a difference. Oh God, there's nothing. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to brag a little bit here, but there's nothing that can fucking stop me in the woods right now. It's just, yeah, with the mental change that everything happened, um, the physical change, I put on a new completely changed, flipped around my lifestyle, man. And from pretty much April till now, it's been almost every day in the gym. Um, I mean, count my food down to the gram. Uh, I, you know, track macros, weight lift, hike, hunt, and it has made the difference. Um, well, I mean, think about it, right? If you're doing any type of athletic activity and you want to actually compete, you know, you want to compete playing basketball, you want to compete in mixed martial arts, you're not going to just show up the week that you're going to do it and expect to be successful, right? And so I always did find that odd that a lot of the people that I knew who hunted were extremely out of shape. They didn't really practice their craft, but they looked forward to it all year long. But in hindsight, it was really more like heading out to hunting camp and, and partying with the boys, which is its own set of fun. But I don't think that you don't have to be able to have that with being in shape. And, you know, to your point, you're out, you have base camp. But I think the problem is when you're with a bunch of other people who don't share that same mindset and you've got like three or four hunting buddies that you go to camp with every year and they're not in shape you know, do you want to be the outcast and are, are they going to be able to keep up with you now? And, you know, it just kind of keeps you doing the same old, same old. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I hunt alone anymore because of that reason. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll go out and hunt with friends and everything like that. And I enjoy it, but 80 to 90 percent of my hunting is by myself and that's mainly because I don't have to worry about anyone else if I'm gonna push I don't have to worry how far I can push someone else I just have to worry how far I can push myself um and so that just yeah yeah I just have to almost always have to hunt by myself anymore um and in all reality, I love doing that too. It adds a complete, you know, extra level to the hunt. Cause then when you, when you end up shooting something by yourself, you're sitting there and you're like, Oh man, now I'm really in a mess. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you, I mean, you shoot a, a full grown, I mean, I'm trying to think where you're at, what do they get to like seven, 800 pounds? Oh God. Um, yeah. A big bull. A, a mature bull probably go about 700 pounds, 800 pounds. So how long is that taking you to pack out on your own 
let just uh, just to quarter it up and, and get yourself prepared to start the trek back um i think because let's see me and my buddy did two elk yesterday and um <laughs> let's see we killed them at 11 and we were out of there by 3 30 so me and a buddy did two elk in like four and a half five hours um we didn't pack them very far thankfully but uh you know by myself i can usually have one quartered out in an hour and a half uh and you know the pack out all just depends on the terrain um man if i if i would the bull i shot this year if i would have had to pack him out by myself it would have been probably an eight nine hour day um thankfully i had i still had the guys at camp on the last day of season they hadn't left me yet so i drug their asses down to the elk and uh we got him out but yeah uh, just depending on the train and how far my how far i decided to walk in usually depends on <laughs> how long it takes me to pack something out do you follow adam greentree at all oh dude i love that guy he's, he's so much fun to watch isn't he yeah he's a blast uh did you see his elk hunt in colorado a couple years ago yeah yeah the one where he made like what was it three or four trips in and out he was like I, what did it was it like seven or eight miles oh i think yeah he's like um I can't remember what it was, but yeah, he was way back in there for 18 days. Yeah. So is that when he saw the grizzly days? and he took those yeah, photos he, with I, the, the bear that was standing up kind of like through the, through the mist, you could kind of see it was dusk out. And I think yep. he had a handgun and he had a bullet in it, but it was the wrong bullet and he didn't realize it at the time, but if he would have fired, it would have not fired. Oh <laughs> man. That, and that was, um, that, that whole thing kind of was, I don't know. He, he tried to prove to the Colorado game and fish. He's like, you guys have grizzlies here. Yeah. He said, no, we don't. And he's like, look at this picture. That is a grizzly. That's not a black bear. And said, no, we don't. Um, How accurate do you think like state game is on stuff like that? So like up in this neck of the woods, you know, there's bobcats, there's fishers and stuff like that. But as far as mountain lion, the consensus is that they are not in Northwestern Pennsylvania. However, my aunt and uncle live on the outskirts of our town. Bradford is like right on the New York state line um, mm -hmm. and pretty remote in nature, right? They live on the outskirts of that town and they moved into a new house with a large wooded area behind them. And my aunt has on videotape what looks clearly to be a mountain lion walking on the edge of their property. And they've talked to people about it and there was you know, some dispute. Well, it's not what it is. It's just a, the angle or it looks bigger than it really is. But I mean, it looks like a fucking mountain lion, you know? I mean, what would your thoughts be on something like that? Um, they're, they're dead wrong on their numbers. Uh, pretty much. I I've always kind of considered if, especially, especially with predators. Okay. They're any game and fish agency is very, very iffy on that because predators are a huge subject in the anti hunting world. Um, so you'll, you'll have people 
Like uh, if someone spots a grizzly bear in the Bighorn Mountains of Wyoming, you'll have, you know, people fight left and right. Nope, grizzlies aren't here. Grizzlies aren't here. Uh, same thing, you know, with wolves. We've been, it took them years to admit, and they still won't admit, you know, there's wolves in the Bighorn. There's wolves. I've cut multiple tracks. I've had one howl 200 yards from me, you know. Um, they don't, they don't like telling people, you know, that there's big, scary animals out there. Because if they do, you know, that's some of their re revenue might disappear. Um, a lot of, a lot of times, I think it's just mainly because if there's more, if those animals spread out into a wider range and a bigger area, they have to start doing something about them. Um, and that means managing them. And that means fighting with anti-hunting. Exactly. Um, you know, it's, uh, we've had, we've had this fight with the grizzly bears for years. Um, grizzly bears have become severely overpopulated in the Western, you know, Western Wyoming, Montana, um, into Idaho, uh, that you ask anyone that hunts the areas and they say the lower 48 grizzlies are the most aggressive grizzlies that you'll ever run across. And it's cause we can't hunt them. It's cause they have no fear of humans. Um, and we tried to delist them a couple of years ago and a federal judge, uh, shut Wyoming down. What's the reasoning behind that? Do they give a reason that makes any sense? Emotional. It's, uh, you know, it's politics, man. You, you touch someone's emotions and all facts go out the window. Mm -hmm. They're dealing um, with that in British Columbia, aren't they? Like a lot of people yep. in BC, it's starting to become like a, a really liberal city and they have no understanding of, of bears and that the people who live in, you know, British Columbia they're dealing with something that these people are just ignorant to. And so they yep. look at this as like fluffy bear, you know, uh, what, what is that term called? Uh, animal anamorphosis or I don't know, I'm fucking it up, but, um, where you kind of look at animals as they appear on television, you know, mm -hmm. um, people, you know, people in cities see Winnie the Pooh. Um, they see Winnie the Pooh. Uh, they see the teddy bear that they cuddled as a child. Um, mm -hmm. Man, if you've ever seen a grizzly take down an elk, it's not. It's one of the most terrifying and, and, and luckily I haven't ever had to watch it in person. You know, I've seen videos uh, that grizzly drowning the elk in Yellowstone a couple months ago is just a perfect represent, representation of their power. Uh, you take that and put it in a populated area. And however we want to, you know, argue it, more and more people are getting closer and closer to habitat. And you have more and more incidences that way. The only way to protect these bears is to actually manage them. Um, you know, if you have, if you put a price on an animal, and it's been proven over in Africa. If you put a price on an animal, they're actually praised and kind of 
um, worshipped in a way. Mm -hmm. If we don't manage and put a price on a grizzly bear, eventually people are just going to start shooting them and shutting up about it. And then you have the grizzly bears go back on the extinction list. Uh, we're fighting to get grizzly bears populations back up again. And it's just a vicious cycle over again. They start, you know, running rampant and attacking people and anything oh, happens. It's one of those unpopular truths though, right? I mean, I, I don't feel good thinking about somebody shooting a lion or an elephant or some sort of big gigantic game that's really only achievable because they spent $50,000 to go over and do it. But the reality is that money is used in a variety of ways to help those very impoverished little communities where otherwise that animal is going to be killed anyways by a local farmer who's pissed off that the elephant's been stomping on all of his crops. And so, yeah, I know it's like heartbreaking to some people to hear that, but you got to live in reality. And I, you know, to your point, same thing's going to start happening with grizzly bears because they become a nuisance. Yep. I mean, and, uh, coyotes, right? I mean, it's, it's just, it's a different animal, but it's the same principles. Exactly. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, there's some subjects in this world that you can totally rely on emotion to figure out. Um, but science and um, especially environmental and animals and stuff like that, uh, the only way we'll ever have a consistent population of any animal, any species, is to actually rely on data biologists and um you know we're paying good money to the states for our game and fish and their biologists to do this research and tell us if we need to harvest more animals or if we need to harvest less animals and if people rely all on emotion about that the animals are eventually just going to die off from disease starvation um you know, and especially in bears, bears will kill cubs uh, to bring a female back into heat. So that's once you start getting um, more boars, then you start getting more cubs mortality rate. And then you start getting less animals. So, so how do you, where do you lie on reintroduction? You know, because I, we're sitting here talking about wolves a minute ago and a big reason that the wolf problem is what it is, is because of the reintroduction into the wild, right? Yes. Um, so the, the wolf reintroduction was done completely wrong. Uh, they, I, I believe full, let me, let me state it this way. I believe fully in reintroduction of species that were here. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with the wolves is they reintroduce the wrong wolf species. They brought in Canadian wolves and bigger wolves. So uh, if you look back in pictures um, from the 18 and early 1900s of wolves coming out of Wyoming, uh, they're roughly... 80 pound dogs, um, 90 pounds. So give or take a medium sized German shepherd. Um, 
the wolves they're killing now are 120, 130. Um, a big alpha male's pushing 150, 60 pounds. Uh, so if they reintroduce the correct wolves, I'm I was 100% for it. And what happens when you reintroduce a different species to the environment is they have the same killing instincts that they had in their environment, the environment that supported them, the one with, you know, a very high moose population, high caribou population. Um, the elk and moose population in the lower 48s cannot sustain a um, alpha predator like that that is used to eating moose and um, having caribou herds at its disposal. How many, how many full-grown moose or elk is a pack of wolves taking down in a given week? I mean, is it every night they're taking one or is it a couple a week? Per wolf, it averages about 11, what is it? 11 elk a year. So one, one per month per wolf. Um, and these packs are what, like 15? It, anywhere from usually, you know, Western side of the state where they're more abundant, you're looking from eight to 15. Um, when they start moving around, you're looking at one to six, really. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there's just, and God, the, I feel bad for the poor boys in Idaho. I really do. Um, the wolves just boomed over there because they had, they had had, keyword here, a great elk population, um, which they still do. They still have good elk numbers, but the wolves just boomed over there, killed a ton of elk. Um, in a lot of areas, the elk are silent. Uh, you won't hear a bugle all of September. And um, I, I remember a story about a guy that was cow calling. He was cow calling and he was hunting in Idaho. Um, and he called in a pack of wolves. And he ended, he ended up killing four. He, he just kept calling, cow calling. He cow called and killed a wolf. Cow called, killed a wolf. Just called in four, you know, a pack of wolves. And... That's what, I mean, the elk, elk are super smart animals mm -hmm. and they naturally adapted really, really fast to the wolf pressure. Um, so they, they don't talk anymore. They'll come into a call, but they won't talk. Uh, you have a lot of guys that just, you know, they say they haven't heard, heard or anything from an elk for years. Yeah, you know. that's the feedback that I got. You know, I, I tried to do just my own research. I asked around, um, was trying to find like the best public lands to hunt on. I looked at Colorado, the feedback that I was kind of getting there was, it was just where everybody was going to hunt public land. So it was going to be extremely populated, you know, and then I started looking I'm like, okay, Idaho, it seems like it's a place where maybe not a lot of people are going to go. There's over a million acres very dense but then as you start diving deeper into like chat room forums and i would ask some questions and people are like you're insane like you're, you're going a you're going into some wilderness that's really difficult to terrain so if you've never done it before you're going to be surprised and you're going to have a hard time finding elk that are responsive to you because of that wolf pressure 
you know, and then instantly my mind's like, well, fuck that. I just, you know, I don't even want to come across a wolf. Like, <laughs> so then we started like thinking maybe Colorado is the place to go. Uh, I think we're kind of open to suggestions and, and maybe changing up the strategy for next year, but. Yeah. Um, you know, I, with, with my fitness stuff, I do, I do help a lot of people that are getting ready for hunts and stuff like that too. I, I help them uh, get on track. Um, I had quite a few people going to Colorado this year and I talked to them after their hunts and it was like, how was the hunt? He goes, man, there wasn't a ridge that wasn't covered with humans. When you, when you see, when you're there for almost a week and you see more humans than you do elk, that's, um, (laughs) that's a rough hunt. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, especially, uh, and, and Colorado, I, <laughs> Colorado's game and fish is, uh, they're very money driven. So out of state or out of state tags bring in a lot of revenue for Colorado. So they have multiple, multiple seasons. Um, you're looking at like first, like first archery, second archery, muzzleloader, first rifle, second rifle, third rifle. And I mean, their seasons go for months and so these animals are just pressured and pressured and pressured and um they give out a ton of tags so there's always always a ton of people down there and i mean i'd i'd love i'd like you i'd love to you know go on an out-of-state trip especially down to colorado um but man the hunting pressure down there anymore is so unreal from everyone i've talked to Mm mm-hmm yeah, I can, and it's almost back to your comments about Cam Haynes. You know, a lot of that is because of his popularization of the sport. And so I think it goes back to your point, like he's drawn all these people out to hunt on the lands that he's had all the success with. So I think it allows uh, maybe a little consideration for him to go on some of this private land and be able to keep doing what he does, right? <laughs> yeah, um, man, it's it's a curse and a blessing. And especially when it comes to social media influencers, uh, and just influencers in general, it's an absolute curse and a blessing because, you know, Cam Haynes, um, Joe Rogan, Jocko, I mean, that whole group of guys, they're doing something great. They're promoting, you know, the healthy organic, um, hunter lifestyle. But, on the flip side of that, what you get is you get a lot of new people coming into the hunting world. And that just puts in one is a lot of people don't have um, experience doing it. They don't have family members that do it. They don't have anyone to teach them the basics of hunting or anything. So a lot of times you do have people that push animals and they pressure them and they hunt with the wrong wind and uh, they, they learn you know, they have to learn through their mistakes. But in the end, a lot of times that just makes it miserable for everyone else. Um, it's like sitting down then, at the blackjack table and having some asshole hit on 17. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and, you know, I was actually just talking to, about this yesterday with my hunting friend. And I was talking to go, you know, the, 
and the technology has been one of the biggest blessings and one of the biggest curses in the hunting hunting world. One, it's you know been able to show millions of people that we aren't just out there to kill Winnie the Pooh. We're we love eating and we love you know these animals more than anything else, and they provide us with sustenance. Um, on the flip side of that. Technology has also ruined a lot of good hunting spots because you have like GPS and stuff like that, like Onyx maps that you, you don't have your honey holes anymore. Everyone, everyone per honey holes, like five people. <laughs> no, it's so true. It's so true. How much, so, you know, this, I was super pumped to have this conversation because I've been doing nothing but talk about politics, but I do have to ask like upcoming election, are there implications for this election as far as it pertains to public lands and, you know, how things continue to move forward for hunting? Cause I know Steve Ranella does a great job highlighting a lot of issues. I know they talked about the wetlands up in Minnesota a lot. Uh, but I, you know, you being someone who's really immersed in that, I was curious how things at a federal level are impacting you. Um, well, this administration has, opened up more public lands um i can't remember the exact numbers and don't quote me on this but it's opened up more public lands since the actual like uh national forest or national parks uh bill so i mean multiple millions of uh acres have been opened during this administration along with that uh Donald Trump Jr. is a huge advocate of hunting and fishing and stuff like that. He's a great hunter. Um, now, on the flip side of that, I don't, I don't necessarily know if that is a concern or a priority for either party right now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wish it would be, and. I, I personally think we need way more protection on our public lands and um, way more public lands opened up. Uh, there's so much landlocked and um, corner pieces and stuff like that that just aren't open to the public that, I mean, we pay taxpayer money for. We pay taxpayer money for these state and federal lands and we can't use them because they're landlocked. Well, and I don't want to uh, generalize on this, but from the little bit of investigating that I've done on this specific topic, those funds are typically managed the best. When you look at federal dollars and programs that are spent, you know, I'm not saying that other programs aren't run well, and I'm not saying every, you know, uh, conservation dollar is spent properly, but it seems to be very regulated well, right? I mean, wouldn't yep, be a bad it is. Um, yeah, it, it's a great, it's a great fund because actually, uh, it's it's written into law that it cannot be used for anything else other than, um, the wildlife and natural resource management of those areas. So, it it is like you said, it is one of the most managed and correctly used funds that the government has. Uh, but like, like I said, you, I mean, they can always be doing something more 
to help the national forests, to help the public lands, um, to help hunters and fishermen. And I'd, I'd love to see, you know, more from whichever party gets elected. Um, I'd love to see more lands opened up. I'd love to see more uh, people get into actually have the knowledge and be able to learn more about uh, the natural resources that come from the public lands. And, um, you know, in all reality, this whole COVID pandemic uh, brought to light more people into the public or the uh, hunting and fishing and outdoor space, uh, mainly because that's a lot a lot of people that was the only thing they could do was they could go outside and they could go hiking and camping and stuff like that um so if there is a silver lining to that whole bs um that would be it it opened up people's eyes to how beautiful our you know wildlife and our nation's national parks and um how amazing grasslands are and stuff like that so mm -hmm. yeah it's uh it certainly has changed my perspective. Like I, it, it kind of disrupted my plans, but what it did do is it validated what my thought process was on being more self-sustaining. You know, I went to the grocery store today and I bought some steak, but it's, you know, you can't escape where that meat came from and how it probably was processed. So, you know, knowing that I can go out, collect my own food, do it in a way that's, as humane as, as humanly possible. Um, and then you challenge yourself while you're doing it. Like I want that challenge. And again, I'm speaking as if I've gone out, I'm not the one that spent 28 days out in the wilderness. I haven't shot an elk yet, but that's, that is on the one year bucket list, man. I'm, I'm hopeful that I can be successful next year, but, uh, oh, yeah. knowing that I got a, a freezer stocked full of meat would feel really good. Uh, when people are jam packed, it's the grocery store stealing everything, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I've, it just tastes that much better. Um, for anyone, anyone listening that has never had wild game and has never been on a hunt. Um, if you have a friend, friend, family member, anyone that does it, I highly recommend just going and joining. Um, and just, helping with the process and uh that meat tastes better than anything else it tastes better than a you know 50 steak from any steakhouse just because you saw the process you knew what happened you were there uh you took care of the meat um there's just nothing like it you know it's it's the best meat in the world and i i necessarily don't think it's because of the flavor i think it's because of the process that goes into putting that meat on the table for you. Mm -hmm. oh, it definitely has a, a different taste, right? Like mm -hmm. wild game, it's a little bit different. You don't have that fat. It's very lean, uh, yep. but there's emotion in it. Right. And I think uh, when people understand how their food is processed, you know, I, I think about a, a couple of people who I know that, they weren't being overly critical, but they're being critical of hunting. Right. But they're the type of people who, when I go out to eat with them, they'll throw 
you know, a fourth of their plate away because they're full meat included, you know, and I think about the people who I know who've spent time in the woods, worked hard to get their food. There's not a chance in hell that they would allow that to go in the garbage can. And so it's just, it's a lack of perspective, you know, ignorance in its true form. But, you know, when you really take a step back and you think about it, not the, not the type of people that you should be criticizing, you know? No, uh, that's, it's just, you know, that it's just taking the processing industry has taken the emotion out of eating pretty much. Um, and so when you don't have any connection to that meat, uh, you don't, you don't care about it really. Mm -hmm. Um, and I tell you what, when you, after you shoot an animal for the first time, you'll never look at a piece of steak, you know, the same. Mm -hmm. You'll, you really appreciate, you really learn how to appreciate animals for what they are. Um, you know, like I said, people, a lot of people have criticized me for being a hunter. Uh, they, you know, how can you, how can you kill an innocent animal? How can you go do that? And I've, I've looked at him, I go, I don't necessarily enjoy killing animals. I really don't. Um, what I do enjoy is I enjoy knowing where my meat came from. I enjoy the adventure that I was able to have on it and the memories I was able to make. And, um, I enjoy being able to provide for myself so the you know they don't have that they don't have that emotion when it comes to their meat they don't their steak is just a steak it's a slab of meat it's not a cow well when i think of my steak it's not a steak it's an elk mm -hmm. that i had to work for and i had to you know take its life so uh it's an emotional process for me to eat pretty much and i wouldn't have it any other way well let's not be disingenuous either right there's uh there's there's not uh consequence free when you're eating vegetables either right i mean <laughs> unless you're going out back my neighbor has a, a really nice organic garden he gives me uh vegetables from from time to time but unless that's what you're doing you know there's consequences to going to the grocery store and, you know, grabbing the vegetables off the shelves and putting them into your cart. Uh, you know, a life is a life. So the little bunny rabbit that's running through the, the field and the, the uh, combine runs through and, and grabs it because it doesn't differentiate between corn and a bunny rabbit. Uh, you know, dead animals, yeah. a dead animal, right? So, and I, I say that kind of tongue in cheek and being a smart ass, but if you're upset about an animal dying, maybe examine that thought for a second and be open to the truth and don't just tell yourself what you want to hear. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's as, as a hunter, it's just so much more than, you know, an, an animal it's, you actually have a connection to the world, you know, mm -hmm. um, and like you said, 
I've I've thought the same exact thing when I'm eating a salad. You know, I've thought you know that's not a animal's home had to been ruined. You know, it has to be tilled up. That has to grow. It has to be harvested. You know, things will die during that period. And I've thought about that too, um, and I think that's just part of being part of the natural world is you actually think um about the natural world Mm -hmm. you don't just think it's you go to the store you grab your groceries and you go home you think the in-depth version of it you yes i went to the store i grabbed my groceries but you know that salad had to come in on a truck and that truck had to go to the processing plant that then they the processing plant had to get it delivered to them from the farm that farmer had to you know grow it had to water it had to harvest it um that's you know for me it's it's a natural thought process and i really do believe that's from hunting and being part of nature um and i i know it's almost hard to explain because it's just been ingrained in me for so long that i actually think in depth on uh everything that i eat and uh pretty much receive from the wild um any type of food product really is i thought in depth about it um and i i I really can't explain it but i do believe that it's from being part of the natural world as a hunter and knowing that everything has a beginning and an end to it Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, the, the in-depth thought that somebody must have when they're thinking about how horrible you are for shooting an animal, if they could only take that same thought process and put it into where'd their lunch come from, you know, where did your breakfast come from and put that same brain power and, and see what you come back with, honestly, you know? So I, I want to ask, we've been chatting for a little bit and I got sidetracked a couple of times, but 28 days in the wild, what's the craziest shit that, uh, I have to imagine some unreal stories, but what's the craziest thing that happened in 28 days while you're out in the woods? Oh man. Uh, 28 days, you know, I was really surprised. Uh, usually during that much time in the wild, you see something insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was almost desolate up there this year uh, due to weather patterns and stuff. But probably the craziest thing I saw and got to experience, and I actually have a video of it on my Instagram. Uh, I had a bull elk walk less than 20 yards from me. Um, I just got to sit there and watch him. And he was so close. I could hear him eating and breathing. Um, And it was it was one of those things where I can I can remember every single moment of it uh, from when he came out into the opening to when he walked away past me, and it's like, and uh, everyone back at camp was like, "Why the hell didn't you shoot this bull?" And I was sitting there, I was like, "I don't know, honest to God, I don't know why I didn't shoot this bull." Um, it was something, it, something came over me and I just wanted to sit there and watch him. So I watched him for like 15 minutes. 
he came in just not a care in the world um but no it's probably the coolest experience top five coolest experiences i've ever had in the wild yeah i saw that i know the video you're talking about and i think you said something like you knew your hunt wouldn't feel good at the end if you had taken that shot exactly and because that was on i think it was on the 16th september 16th or something like that and uh and I, I was just sitting there and I said, man, I don't know why, but I'm not ready to end it. And I went on for another 14 days of hunting from there on out. And uh, yeah, finally you, ended it. Would you have stayed out if you would have, if you would have decided to take that shot, would you have stayed out with everybody else or would you have called it a, I, I would have, um, I would have probably stayed for another couple of days, see how everyone did. Uh, and then I would have gone out and gone back home, regrouped for a few days, and then probably went on a mule deer hunt for a few days. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just, and then I would have probably been back up there and helped elk hunt and stuff like that. But I w- definitely wouldn't have spent another 14 days in a shit. I think I spent 14 days in a row after that hunting. Um, so what's next for you? What do you have on the docket? Any big hunts planned? Got any uh, any cool trips lined up? Um, this year's going to be pretty pretty relaxed. Uh, I have one one more tag to fill, so I'll be whitetail hunting through November. Um, and then I'm going to actually take this winter and recuperate. Um, you know, get my goats ready for, for summertime and next next year. But, you know, other than that, a couple years out from now is definitely going to be a black bear hunt down in Colorado. Um, and then possibly a caribou, a drop hunt um, where they fly us in, drop us off in the middle of freaking, I don't know, the tundra somewhere in Canada or Alaska and caribou hunt for 10 days. So well, that would be a lot of fun. Yep. That's uh that one's that one's a bucket list that one's in a few years here hopefully Mm -hmm. oh man it sounds like so much fun i um i'll be keeping close tabs on what's going on and hopefully we keep in touch i'm sure i'll have more questions as we get into next year suggestions maybe some little tips so that i don't uh, go unsuccessful but i uh i appreciate the chat man it was a lot of fun and uh, i hope people who enjoy this conversation go and follow what you're doing because you uh you've caught my interest for sure and i appreciate how open you are you're like very authentic when you're outside you're just kind of like showing what's going on and it's uh it's different than a lot of the other you know outdoor influencer type who it reminds me of like a fishing show you know you see them cast and it's like they every time they throw their their line in the water they're pulling out a giant bass and it's like that's not how fishing is so i appreciate your kind of breakdown of what most people may consider like the boring aspects of hunting, but what is the majority of the time that you have in the woods. So I think it's important to see that and to get your perspective on all that. It's just, uh, it's really cool. Yeah, man. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, I had so much fun on this talk and hopefully we can do it again. Um, and I mean, like always, if you, if you want to talk some more, 
you know how to get a hold of me and come out to Wyoming sometime, dude. We'll go on a mule deer or antelope hunt or elk hunt. Yeah. Uh, it'd be my pleasure. To no, take I, you. I may take you up on that. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, oh yeah. The, um, who's the company that you're working with? You had mentioned early on. Um, is it first form? Yep. I, uh, I work for first form. Um, I'm a fitness advisor for them. So, you know, if anyone wants to get in shape, wants to get ready for the mountains, wants, you know, just everyday health and education on health and fitness, I do that, you know, I make it super easy for them. And um, pretty much I give people a foolproof plan that'll help them get in shape, lose weight. And they just have to give me dedication to it. And, uh, but yeah, I, I do that on the side and I enjoy it too. So. Well, that's awesome, dude. You do it virtually. Yeah. Online. Um, the, the app we actually work for or work through with first form, you know, it connects me with people. Um, I'm able to help them out see what they're eating, see what the workouts they're doing and stuff like that. So it makes the process of getting in shape and, uh, getting on, you know, meeting your goals a lot easier and, um, makes it streamlined pretty much. No, for sure. I hope people go and check it out. I know I do every, every night I'm watching you. You're, you're religious with it. It's, uh, it's contagious. So keep it up. Where can, uh, everybody find you on social? Social media is at Cole M as in Michael Simonson. Um, and then, you know, I don't have really a Facebook page other than my personal one. And that's the same thing, Cole Simonson. Um, and then if you want to uh, see what my fitness stuff is all about and download the app that I work through, it's in my bio on Instagram. More than welcome to download it. Um, try out the premium version so you can personally message me. Um, but I mean, to anyone that's, listening and has any questions just for hunting you know fishing outdoors or is curious and just wants to talk and learn please please dm me i'd you know love to have a conversation with you because uh you know the the outdoors life in general is dying and uh we need to bring it back and make sure more people know that it's a lifestyle and not, not a fat or, and it's not going to die pretty much. It has to be kept alive. No, oh, man. Well said. I appreciate it a ton, Cole. I look forward to keeping in touch in uh, future conversations. And I, again, I will take you up on that. We're I'm excited. Now I, I can add that to my bucket list at some point, getting my ass out to uh, Wyoming and shooting an antelope or something. So it'll be cool. Oh yeah, dude. Can't wait. Awesome, brother. Well, be safe and uh, I'll chat soon. Awesome. Sounds good, man. We'll see you.